Beautiful. Well, welcome to Genesis. My name's Nate, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm excited to start this series in New Year. Today's we're kicking off a series called Soul Therapy. And I started undergoing some uh, intensive therapy this year in the last quarter. And it has been super powerful for me. Um, it has brought into light um, a lot of perspectives and attitudes and beliefs that I didn't know were operating uh, right under the surface. And I've found out this, that I have had really high expectations of others and that I never communicate those expectations to them and then I become extremely disappointed in them for not meeting my high expectations of them that I've never communicated to them. Does that sound healthy? <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. And I, uh, I had to get into some therapy to try and figure out why were these relationships that I valued eroding. Like, these are people that I loved um, and do love. And yet there was like something was happening where those relationships were really suffering. And therapy for me has been helpful in growing in some of that understanding. And so we, we would say that therapy's good. And as your pastors, we would say everyone should be in therapy. <laughs> and that we don't count as therapy, okay? So don't text Bo, don't text me saying, we gotta meet with you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying get a therapist that's not me, that's not Bo, and then just take us out to lunch just to be together and have fun. <laughs> but therapy's good. It's, it's good for us to be attentive to what's, what's happening in here. And I would say that we're all worthy. We're all worthy of the opportunity to take a step back and to assess what all's going on in our lives, to be able to reflect, to be able to excavate, and to, to mine for the gold. And I have found no better way to do that than in therapy. So seasonally, at the turn of the year, it's a natural time where most of us will do a little bit of this, right? We'll do a little bit of how did 2019 go? And are there tweaks that I should make for 2020? And most of us, uh, it has to do with um, our carb intake. We'll try to adjust that. Um, whether or not we're going to use the Peloton that our spouse bought <laughs> for us, right? Like, there's these little, these little types of things that really are like behavior modification. And... At the turn of the year, most of us have an openness to the conversation. Therefore, Bo and I thought it would be appropriate to do that here at Genesis for these first few weeks of the year, that we would be doing a series that's called Soul Therapy. And so this week, to start it off on a light note, I've entitled my talk, Don't Let the World Around You squeeze you into its mold. Finding renewal in a world suffering from addiction and isolation. Excited? 
I am. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in. So, Father, I ask for your uh, anointing. Um, I ask for your empowerment by your spirit. I ask uh, for your spirit even now to begin um, to address the barriers and the preconceived ideas and the reasons why this talk isn't for us. And I ask that your spirit would um, help us to hear from you. And I ask in Jesus' name, amen. So, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, finding renewal in a world suffering from addiction and isolation. It's the longest title I've ever given a sermon. And I'll make sure that I have lots of coffee to make, to make it through. Here's the reality, though. I grew up in and around adult rehabilitation centers. It's a world that I'm super comfortable in. It's a world that I'm very familiar with. As an adult, I worked in recovery centers at different times throughout my career. But as I reflect, it was in these recovery centers that I was first exposed to the hypocrisy in the church. And it was extremely formidable for me. I remember meeting beautiful, desperate, and expressive men in these recovery centers. Beautiful in their, in their sincerity and the mourning over their past and the ways that they had hurt people. Desperate in their desire for change and to be made new, to have a second chance. And expressive in their wailing, as most of them would sing. And the mixture of the lyrics and their tears would reveal shocking vulnerability in these men that looked so hard on their exterior. And part of my processing with my therapist has been smoking and the power of smoking and the connectivity of that practice to hurts or to idealization of ourself. And in that process, I realized most of the men in these recovery centers that I connected with, they smoked. Almost all of them smoked. And neurotically, like chain smoking, almost like when you would choose to accessorize your outfit, what goes with this? Oh, a cigarette does. <laughs> all the time, that they were trying to find some way to master their nerves that went with them into every situation. And because of that, because of the smoking, they were never allowed to become members of the church that I grew up in. That never sat well with me. As a nine-year-old and a 10-year-old, I was bothered by the fact that these men who had gone from crack or heroin or fill in the blank to being in a recovery center trying to cope, and yet they were still alienated from membership within the church, that bothered me. Some of them were veterans and had seen things that none of us will ever see. 
Some of them were trying to self-medicate or to, to find some self-soothing, and drugs and alcohol are readily available. Mental health care packages are not. Others had lost their families and through varying life choices that they made. And as I wrote this talk, I remembered their dark-skinned and rough hands uh, rolling cigarettes in the lounge. And it's pretty awesome to watch. It's actually pretty therapeutic. It looked like those little credit card machines. But it would kick out something with much greater value. <laughs> and I remember, I also remember um, them teaching me how to play Pong on the Atari. And I remember uh, their smoke-filled clothes as they would hug me when I would come to visit. And I also remember them showing me how to play the drums. I remember the first time I heard a choir of these men in recovery sing Lean On Me. And I could tell that they really meant it in a way that I did not grasp fully. And what was shocking to me was that they accepted me, some random, suburban, towhead, blue-eyed kid. And they would invite me to sit with them at their meals and to hear their stories and to fumble on the drums while they sang like shoes in a dryer. And I remember so many of them had these joyful yet sad eyes. And I remember feeling like I belonged. I didn't realize that we, those who had come from the church to visit the rehab center, that we were the ones who were supposed to be ministering to them. Either in my childishness or in my naivety, I had thought that we were all just being together. It wasn't until later, I remember a specific conversation, after we had left the rehab center and were driving back in the van to our church that I heard leaders from our church talk about, quote, those sinners, and quote, those drinkers and smokers. And I realized that my church had seen a clear line between us and them. And I don't know if I have ever fully recovered from that realization. But I've certainly tried to let that discomfort inform the way that I live and inform the way that I treat others. And so this is the backdrop from which I want us to read Romans 12, which is a letter of encouragement from the Apostle Paul. And in Romans 12, I have the J.B. Phillips version just because I like some of the word choices. But you can read it in whatever you want. It says this. It says, With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, 
as an act of intelligent worship to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove and practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. It's a great text. Let God remold your minds from within. Recently, I've had the opportunity to preach about the enemy of our souls and that the enemy is always seeking to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And to me, there is no more clearly, this is no more clearly seen than in the area of addiction. And I come to you today not as a clinical professional, not as a neurologist or as an addictionologist, but I come to you as a shepherd, one that has worked in recovery communities, one that continues to battle his own demons, and as one who continues to believe in the possibility that folks can experience freedom and that our families can be restored. So whether we're on the side of experiencing the powerful grip of addiction, or whether we're a loving party to the one who is in addiction, the markings of the kingdom of darkness are evident. There's significant stealing and killing and destroying that goes hand in hand with addiction. All parties related to addiction experience the stealing of joy the killing of trust, the destroying of confidence, and ultimately, the death of hope. When I worked in the Salvation Army Harbor Light, my mentor always talked about addiction as a rut. He would say, whether it's alcohol or drugs or acting out sexually or disordered eating or reckless spending or gambling, whatever it is, addiction is a rut, R-U-T. Biologically, we get caught in this repetitive cycle of a stimulus that sends a little electrical current down a neural pathway to a neurotransmitter most of our favorite is dopamine. And then the brain elicits that response, and, and our brains go, yeah, that felt good. And so then we do the same thing again and again, and we, we begin to blaze these trails that have deep grooves, neural ruts. And Bill would say, we all find ourselves in a rut when we, one, are, replace God with something else. When we, when we allow something else to have mastery, we're starting a rut. When we allow anything a place of mastery over us, we're starting a rut. And then you would say, two, you, you, 
in the recovery community, people participate. So when I would say R, then the people would go R. Yeah, much louder though, Bo. And then when I would say U, people would say U. Unbearable pain. You replace God with something else, and then you, you experience unbearable pain. And so then that leads you to T, which is what? Nice. You try to fix it. You try to make the pain stop. How do we try to make the pain stop? We self-soothe. We'll do anything to make the pain stop. You replace God with something else. You experience unbearable pain. And you try to make the pain stop. You self-medicate. And this can be an endless cycle unless something or someone can interrupt that signal and can blaze a new trail. And Paul said to the church in Rome, let God remold your minds from within. Let God Remold your minds from within. We need new trails blazed in our minds. Amen? I'm calling this a type of divine neuroplasticity. Who knows what that means? I love it. If Ronnie Hormel was here, he would know. Neuroplasticity is the belief that the brain is not rigid and fixed. It's actually the belief that the brain can realign itself and can reconnect over, continuously over your lifetime. And I'm saying that there is a divine neuroplasticity where actually I would say science supports the fact that God will remold the mind from within and they hold hands. And so... Being squeezed into the world's mold with regard to addiction can look like giving up hope that anything can change, regardless of what side you're on. Whether you are the one who's experiencing addiction or whether you're the one whose loved one is in the grips. Allowing the world's mold to squeeze you looks like you giving up that anything could ever change. And the problem with that is that we serve a God that calls things that are not as though they were. We serve a God who calls things that are not as though they were. God's hope and expectation for the miraculous for us exceeds our hope and expectations on the miraculous for ourselves and for others. And this must influence the way that we view others in ourselves with regard to addiction if we are ever going to find a way of renewal in a world suffering from addiction and isolation. We must eliminate the them to only be the us. Us. We all need our minds remolded and transformed. And so this morning I have Two encouragements. Some of you may be tempted right now to list the ways that the addiction situation that you're dealing with is different than what I'm talking about. And I would encourage you, it's not. 
So hope with me. Hope with me about your situation. Others of you right now may be feeling defensive or angry because I didn't let everyone know I was going to talk about addiction today, and you wouldn't have come. (laughs) Or you wouldn't have brought your partner. In that space, I think God has an encouraging word for you this morning, and so stick with me. Stick with me through this text. So for those of us who are given to addictive patterns, to those of us that are, we're aware of our addictions, here's my first encouragement. We must refuse accommodation. We must refuse accommodation. Accommodation is the process of adapting or adjusting to someone or something. Accommodation in the world of addiction is a welcome mat. Accommodation in the world of addiction is a welcome mat that we set out because we're disguising the real word, which is inevitable. We have said, oh, it's inevitable that I will do this again. It's inevitable that I will. And so we have surrendered whatever bit of control there was in accommodation. Making accommodation for behavior that brings destructive consequences is dangerous. The scripture says that we give the enemy of our souls a foothold to get leverage on us. You may remember a couple weeks ago I talked about deliverance prayer. I talked about the the ministry of, of trying to get loose of what we've picked up along the way, the dark residue, the spiritual filth. I know when I practice accommodation, the flies start to swarm. My encouragement to those in the throes of addiction is to not make accommodation for it. Jordan Sang, who wrote that book, Miracle Work, that Bo and I were teaching out of, he had this sentence that I thought was awesome. He said, of course all of us sin, so let's level the playing field. (laughs) Of course all of us sin, including Bo, me sometimes. Bow more often. Because <laughs> he's closer to the Lord. So when you're closer to the source of light, it exposes more. That's a joke. That's biblical humor. Um, when, of course, all of us sin, and therefore all lack personal control to some extent, and thus we're all in danger. <laughs> and then he says... But I think, I think things get particularly dangerous when we adjust to our wrongdoing. When through choice or passivity, we simply allow certain sins to reign or we accept it as an inevitability. And then he says, in doing this, we surrender whatever piece of control there ever was. 
My encouragement together is that we would refuse accommodation and that in our refusal to make accommodation that we would actually kick off the process of being remolded from within. So now for those of you who are not addicted, but you know someone who is, there's an encouragement for you in this text. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. To those here who are exhausted and are weary and are whittled down from loving an addict. For those who are living without hope and are so worn down, they barely feel the emotion. We must not give in to resignation. We must not give in to resignation. I did not say to live without boundaries. And I did not say to be trampled on and manipulated. I am saying we mirror the Father's expectation for the miraculous when we refuse to resign, when we refuse resignation. You cannot do this on your own. God must be present. God must be present in it. And so Romans 12 tells us in order for us to find hope or renewal in a world suffering from addiction and isolation that we all need our minds to be renewed. Paul said to the church, let God remold your minds from within. And this is such good news, because it says let. Let God remold your minds from within. This is something that God is wanting to do. This is the work where God does the heavy lifting. We don't remold our minds. God remolds our minds. We don't transform ourselves. God's spirit transforms us. And I believe the most direct way to let God remold us is to become practitioners of the spiritual disciplines. I've talked about this so much. I will always bang this bell. Fasting, silence, solitude, prayer. These are the practices of the desert fathers and mothers. These are the practices of transformation. If you want to be transformed, practice spiritual disciplines. There's a book called The Way of the Heart, Henry Nouwen. Amazing introduction to this. So if this is the first time you're hearing about spiritual disciplines, get this book. James, how quickly can they get it from Barnes & Noble? He's in the lobby. Oh, no, there he is. Okay. Order, they're online. It's an amazing book. It, but it will take you through the steps of why do we practice spiritual disciplines? Because they ad- address our appetites. They address our appetites. 
We must learn how to intentionally position ourselves in the furnace of transformation. And God says, in that place, I will remold your mind. Having our minds remolded, I've talked to Matt about this, having our minds remolded through the practice of spiritual disciplines is like willingly getting up on an anvil and asking God to hammer out the imperfections. And then saying, now refire me. And now put me back on the anvil and hammer out the imperfections. And now refire me. It is God who remolds our minds to desire what is good, acceptable, and perfect. It is God through his spirit who renews us in mind and in heart. And so this morning, I want to encourage you that there is hope for renewal for our world that is suffering from addiction and as a result, isolation. If we look at the creation narrative, when sin entered the world, the first thing that happened between man and God is hiding. The second thing happened between man and man, and it was blaming. Stealing, killing, and destroying. It's the work of the enemy of our souls. When we undergo transformation, it will begin in our mind, and it will begin with God, but it will cause us, in our growing and in our healing, to connect into community. And this has just been um, an amazing discovery. This, uh, a man named Johan Hari did a TED Talk. Maybe some of you saw it. Um, I mean, I think millions of people saw it. But it was called Everything We Know About Addiction is Wrong. Uh, if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. Um, and Johan makes his final conclusion after years of study and this is a spoiler alert, so I'm going to tell you what he came to. His final conclusion was this. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is human connection. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is human connection. So think about the hiding and the blaming. Think about the responses that you've seen in dealing in addiction. What if, what if the enemy of our soul's goal was to foster an us and them type of thinking? Because if it's just us, then all of the healing is within, the, within that family. If it's us and them, they're already divided. What if, the, what if the enemy's goal was to keep us blaming each other for whose fault, whatever it is? What if it was the enemy's goal to, to drive hurting people into greater isolation? What if the, 
One of the enemy's hunting strategy was to separate the weak from the rest, because that's an easy kill. What if the enemy's goal was that the church would push people away and that loved ones would choose an insulary life over one that was more difficult and more costly? What if finding renewal in a world of suffering from addiction and isolation started with you practicing a spiritual discipline and then experiencing the remolding of your own mind that you would be able to give testimony to someone else who's in need of that. I believe that there is renewal for us. I believe it comes from the remolding within and I believe that God is eager to meet us in this. Let me pray for us. So Father, we agree, we agree with your word that you want to remold our minds, that you want us to experience hope and renewal and freedom. And this is not a neutral conversation. And so, Lord, even now, for the names that are coming up, we have lists of names of people who have hurt us, who have stolen from us. We have lists of names of people who have hurt us. We have lists of names of people who did not respond well when we were vulnerable. And so, Lord, we ask for your uh, shalom to come. Your shalom. Your peace. Your restoration. You are our hope in this. And we hold tightly to you. And so, Father, uh, in the words of Bob Marley, so much been said, so little been done. We ask you to do, because we can't do it. We can't do it. And so we ask you to do it. And so, Father, uh, send a quickening by your spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.